Well, things never really happen, you know, on the schedule that maybe you've got in the back of your head. You know, that whole John Lennon thing, life is what happens while you're making plans. So we had a different plan for today. And I'll explain a little bit more on the other side of the news. But when it uh, turned out that the House Democrats wanted to announce the actual articles of impeachment today, which they did at 9 a.m. and then presented actual written drafts of them around 11.15 a.m., it just seemed like we should cast aside whatever plan we might have had before and make it possible for you folks to comment on the radio about how you're feeling right now. We'd like to hear from one side, the other side, the middle, the undecided, all of you. Would we like you to call 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Let's have a conversation on the other side of the news. And we're on. <laughs> so uh, this is what's called working without a net. It's even more working without a net than I had planned. And I like working without a net. So let me just explain a little bit about what's going on here today. First of all, we had a different plan for what we're going to do. I can tell you about that if it becomes important. Uh, then late last night, it turned out that the House Democrats wanted to release the articles of impeachment today. So we decided that it would probably be a good idea to cast aside whatever plans we had and do a different kind of live show. Now, I have to tell you about a few other things, just sort of in-house things. Not that you should really care, but uh, I have a relatively small producing staff. <laughs> and one of them, Betsy Kaplan, is uh, in Denver on a family matter right now. Another one, uh, Kyone Wolf, who usually runs the board, uh, is in Cleveland on a family matter right now. So uh, the number of people I can call upon in this situation <laughs> is getting small. Now, one of the good things about working for WNPR is when you don't have the people available that you need, you reach up the ladder. So, for example, we have Gina Amatruda, who is like the king of all technical things here. I don't know what his exact title is, but it might as well be that. Uh, he's running the board right now. And to whatever extent we're going to be able to take phone calls here, which I don't think we're quite at yet, maybe, but I'll be getting updates. Um we can take calls. Oh, good. So then the phone calls are being handled by Katie Talarski, who is like the queen of all radio. I, I clearly need to learn people's actual titles. <laughs> I think she might be like director of original programming and radio or something. Um, anyway, so these are like big, important people. That's what I'm. That's the first thing I'm telling you. They've actually stepped in. Beca and here's the other part of this. You know, there's all kinds of terrific media out there right now. And the digital revolution we've gone through has obviously opened up all kinds of possibilities that didn't exist before. But one thing that radio does pretty well, I think, and, and does it really kind of better than almost anybody, except as I was reminded on Twitter today, I guess C-SPAN can kind of do it. But is take calls, is just let the the people who listen, who care, who have opinions, let those people call and express their views. So if the phone system works right now, I'm going to give out the number. Uh, it's 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-WNPR. If you're not good with the alphanumeric thing, uh, then it's 888-720-9677. Uh, and we're all ready to go. Um, now, uh, let me set up a few other things. Uh, we still can't trigger audio, right? We have a few little technical. We can trigger audio. Okay, so uh, just to sort of set the mood here then, uh, one thing that Jonathan McPants, who's the producer of this episode, did today is um, – I, 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 let me preface this by saying I think one of the things that's really obvious today is that 
history is on the minds of everybody who's participating. So the Democrat, uh, the Democratic uh, ch- chairman, uh, chairpersons uh, of relevant committees gathered today in front of a portrait of George Washington in order to make this announcement. Uh, and then the Republican House leaders um, in their statement repeatedly invoked Alexander Hamilton. Uh, and, and there is a sense, we know, I mean, this is the third time in the last 45 years that articles of impeachment have been drafted by the Judiciary Committee and considered by the House. But it's only the fourth time in the history of our country. This is a day that will become a major part of history. It's one of the reasons we want to pay a lot of attention to it. So with that idea that Washington uh, was uh, looming up behind uh, the Democratic leadership of the House and that Hamilton was on the minds of, of the Republicans, uh, Jonathan McNichol took the opening statements today. And and by the way, I, I suppose this could sound like we have our thumb on the scale. We just didn't have the audio of the Republicans uh, ready at this, at this point. But um, – you know, we thought maybe we could set it to relevant music. So Jonathan McNichol has set it to the song that George Washington sings in the musical Hamilton. You see what we did there? History has its eyes on you. On this solemn day, I'm, I recall that the first order of business for members of Congress is the solemn act to take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. The framers of the Constitution prescribed a clear remedy for presidents who so violate their oath of office. That is the power of impeachment. Today, in service to our duty to the Constitution and to our country, the House Committee on the Judiciary is introducing two articles of impeachment charging the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, with committing high crimes and misdemeanors. The President's oath of office appears to mean very little to him, but the articles put forward today will give us a chance to show that we will defend the Constitution and that our oath means something to us. History has its eyes on you. Nicely done, Jonathan McPants. And so, yeah, history does, no matter which side you're on right now, and by the way, the most interesting people are the people who are in the middle right now, people who are still feeling their way towards some kind of confidence in in a decision about this. Uh, But no matter where you are on that spectrum, uh, history does have its eyes on what's happening today. So the number is 888-720-WNPR or 888-720-9677. We have some people calling up right now. I have lots more things that uh, I want to see, but let's get going. And we'll start with Harrison in Stonington. Here we go. You're on the air, Harrison. Hi. Um, so I'm one of those people that's in the middle, like you're uh, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I was born in the U.S., but I grew up abroad. And when I uh, returned back to the U.S., I uh, it was in the midst of uh, George W. Bush's first run, and that was my first experience with American politics. So mm-hmm. you can see that it, it has a bit of a conflict in terms of how the system works. Right. But um, what, what I was calling in about to be able to say is that um, the, their articles of impeachment have been issued today, and I was having a conversation last night with some two friends over dinner, 
uh, about the articles of impeachment. And although neither uh, none of us are particularly um, staunch supporters of, of Trump, um, we also are trying to be realists about the way that the um, body politic of the United States uh, will view these articles of impeachment, and that the statements that are that are made um, uh, against um, what Trump has done. Um, at, while he's been president, which are the impeachable offenses, uh, don't play very well on the grand scale um, to to convince his uh, base that he's done very much that's outside of his own character as as the character that's been represented, uh, uh, the, the Trump brand that's been presented to the American public via reality TV over time. What I heard in the election, uh, before the election in 2016, uh, many times over, even outside of the country and inside of the country, was that, oh, he's a good businessman. And uh, don't you know that he has this shrewd business mind, that he actually is this, this genius, at the, at the, that, you know, the head of the different things. Now, in, in reality, I don't actually think that that's true. I think that that's very much a propagandized character of, um, of a figurehead. And that is in part why uh, a lot of people... Uh, rallied behind him is that they has this image and that a lot of the uh, the positions and importance of the presidency is image and how we're how the United States is viewed with our foreign policy abroad. Um, however, with the impeachment proceedings and with now the um, the charges that are being brought against him, um, it's really a fight of trying to win over the hearts and minds of the American public and people of Right now, we're in this very interesting post-truth culture that's looking more and, and feeling more, um, because it's also a much more reactionary public um, than we've ever had, that people are feeling with their guts more and and are saying, well, you know, he may have done uh, these infractions and there may have been uh, one thing or a couple of things that have been brought up in the impeachment proceedings, like bribery or uh, uh, trying to stop... Uh, uh, Congress's investigation, um, but people are still loyal to the idea, and it's very hard for people um, to believe that, it, that there's team dynamics. There's people that that um, are his base that are very uh, would would seem to be very radical supporters of Trump that uh, don't necessarily uh, hold the hard facts to be things that um, that that affect their gut feeling about things. And as, as radical as, as uh, some people on the opposite side would think that that uh, thinking is, it's just as polarizingly radical to, um, to oppose uh, uh, Trump's presidency um, without considering some of the other uh, factors of uh, what he's been able to achieve. Okay, so I think, first of all, great. All, all of that was great. And this couldn't be a better first call of the day, Harrison. I think your all of your points are good. The little adjustments I might make, um, you know, just in terms of sort of who gets it, who understands, who who feels what. I mean, the polling on impeachment and removal has been sort of like 48, yes, 44, no. I haven't looked lately in the last few days. But, you know, the public opinion 
to an unusual degree, has at least been, you know, marginally in favor of doing this, which suggests some kind of comprehension about what, of what's going on. And of course, President Trump's own approval ratings are unusually flat. And in other words, you know, unlike most presidents whose approval ratings kind of spike up and then curve down into valleys, he's kind of been stuck around 40, 41, 42, sometimes as low as 38 as lo- for as long as he's been in office. So, you know, yeah, there is a hardcore of unpersuadable people, but it's maybe not as big a hardcore. The, the larger question is, to whom do members of the Senate feel answerable? You know, who, who do they feel like they have to answer to? What sort of sorts of considerations do they make? Um, and, you know, I think you're right that that's kind of where this thing sits right now. Um, I, I will say this. That, you know, you're, I think what you're suggesting is that Trump's temperament is always kind of on brand, right? He ran as an intemperate, tantrum-throwing, rule-breaking guy. And guess what? He throws tantrums and he breaks rules and he's intemperate. Um, you know, that was a big factor in Andrew Johnson's impeachment. I mean, the impeachment, there were 11 articles of impeachment, uh, which had more to do with specifics. But Johnson, who, of course, came into office in a different manner, um, you know, a lot of this just kind of was who he was and how he acted and how he spoke and the way that he described members of Congress and stuff like that. He was probably, in terms of temperament, a closer analog to Trump than any of the other ones. But to me, the place that this thing really lives is in the failure to cooperate with lawful subpoenas. You know, either we have a system that that we follow or we don't. You know, this wound up being... If you go back to the Nixon impeachment, you know, he didn't want to turn over the tapes and he would suggest compromises and stuff like that. And they wound up going all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said eight zero. Yeah, you got to turn over those tapes. There's just no two ways about it. You don't have any executive privilege uh, that covers anything like that. There, there isn't anything about separation of powers that covers that. You've got to comply with the with that and turn over the tapes. And that became one of the articles of impeachment against him that he had tried to not do that. And to me, Harrison, that's that's the part of this that's really hard, harder for me to see an argument about. I, I, I totally get what you're saying about the first thing, you know, which is that, yes, you could you could look at what he did vis-a-vis Ukraine and say, well, yeah, it's kind of on brand for him. You know, <laughs> you don't, he doesn't really follow the rules and he's very self-seeking. And, you know, that's kind of the guy that they elected. Um, I but, think really he didn't know whether he, he, he was convincing himself constantly that he hadn't done anything wrong. Right. And, but, and, and so I, the, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. But it's the second well, article that was I announced today. It was it was a rather underhanded tactic that was shameful for a president to have taken, given the vulnerable position that the Ukraine had put themselves in when they had joined NATO and had given up their ability to defend themselves or to represent any kind of measurable defense against uh, um, encroachment upon their their land by Russia. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's that uh, in my in our conversation last night over um, impeachment and what impeachment means is that it's it's really that there are different laws that are in place to protect the, the, uh, our country um, from the possibility of a, of a presidential uh, uh, candidate or person who is able to abuse their, their uh, power for personal gain. And, and exactly like what you're saying in terms of the, um, the, the investigation of Congress and trying to impede that investigation, that's definitely an abuse of power. Um, 
if he had believed truly that he hadn't done anything wrong, he would have welcomed different. Uh, he would have welcomed an investigation, and in, indeed, during the impeachment proceedings, uh, offered some comment or, or sent his legal counsel. Right. For example, well, I'll invoke the yet the third uh, historical precedent, which is Clinton did put on a defense during that hearing process in the Judiciary Committee. You know what? I, I just uh, want to make sure other people uh, get a chance to talk. Harrison, you've been a terrific caller. I really appreciate that you did call. Uh, we've got uh, Lisa on the line. We've got Jennifer on the line. We're going to get to both of you, uh, but I'm being told to go to Patrick next. Hi, Patrick. You're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. Go ahead. Yes, um, I, a couple of things, a lot of points here. Um, and for starters, let's not forget about Hunter Biden um, sitting on the board for $50,000 a month. There's like an ethical asterisk that really should be put to this. You know, and the other thing was in that we throw our solution to diplomacy internationally is to throw $400 million worth of missiles at the Ukrainians, as is in the Saudis and what have you, that the whole military-industrial complex, that's what we do for diplomacy, that's what we do for international leverage, that in sitting here in Connecticut, home of Electric Boat and Lockheed Martin and Sikorsky Helicopter, that's not lost on me. Um, you know, but it, it needs to, the conversation has to be had, and then get back to Citizen United, that we're worried about, you know, interference with our elections. We're interfering with our own elections, and we're, we're distracting ourselves with these distractions that Bigger policy issues are being uh, scanted aside, and that's about it. All right. Well, thanks for that call, Patrick. I'll just try to tackle a few of the things that you said, uh, and then I want to get to Lisa and Jennifer. Important to get uh, lots of different voices here on the air. I mean, you know, in terms of Hunter Biden, if first of all, I would welcome by ProPublica or NPR or anybody or the New York Times or the Washington Post a comprehensive journalistic um, investigation of soft corruption in the form of relatives of members of Congress, relatives of highly placed people within the executive branch who have lucrative positions that seem to be a product of their relation to those powerful people. I don't think Hunter Biden's going to turn out to be the only person sitting on a board collecting generous monthly uh, payments. Um, and I mean, I think that, and I'm serious about that, I think that should be looked at, you know, and and I don't think people understand. I mean, you go to Congress, you don't make that much money. So there's a way in which sometimes your spouse has to be able to make some money. So, you know, people wind up on boards and they get paid. So that's number one. Number two, if there's really a – we're not going to forget about Hunter Biden, Patrick, because he's going to be part of the Senate trial. I know Who knows how far – it may be up to John Roberts how far they can go into the Hunter Biden part of this. Um, but it seems likely that every day we'll be hearing the name Hunter Biden. I don't think anybody's going to forget. Um, the third thing is, and this is a point that's been made over and over, if there's a problem with Hunter Biden, if there's a way in which he warrants investigation, that investigation should take place by the Department of Justice, by our own large intelligence apparatus, which exists to do these things. There's no precedent for saying, hey, Ukraine, would you mind investigating <laughs> this American citizen? We don't do that. If we're going to investigate anybody, we do it ourselves. And and lastly, in terms of the citizen united thing, yeah, we are polluting ourselves with money, but we're sort of allowed to do that. We're not supposed to let other countries do it. Uh, all right, uh, let's go to these other people who've been patiently waiting. We'll start with Lisa in West Hartford, then Jennifer in Middletown. We've got other people calling up. Let me make sure you know the number, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Hi, Lisa, you're on the air. 
Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a, two points. One is, you know, uh, Donald Trump has been, I can't even call him president because that implies leadership, but Donald Trump has been committing crimes since he stepped into office on January 20th. He, um, between emoluments and nepotism and foreign government um, connections, he is a criminal through and through. And so for me, these articles of impeachment are long in coming. I understand maybe they have to build a case, but it's still way too long in coming. Um, I find him surreal and viscerally disgusting. And I think he has changed irrevocably the tenor of politics. If you look at the Nixon impeachment and his resignation in that phase of our uh, history at least nixon had a sense i was no fan of nixon but at least he had a sense of decorum and demeanor and uh loyalty to what the argument and what leadership implied trump has none of that um and and i feel like the the people on in office um you know on capitol hill are sort of deciding whether his brand of white male privilege can be upheld at any cost and to the extent that it benefits him or whether his brand of white male privilege is just too damaging and the fallout after he uh, leaves or in the meantime while he's still in office will be, you know, just too great and therefore he should be um, impeached. My second point is that I blame, I really do feel that the media and its complacency um, in terms of what Trump has meant, is um, part of the problem. He, um, you know, there's this constant kowtowing to quote-unquote his base, as if this somehow represents some huge, you know, swath of the American population. I mean, you know, polling aside, they, you know, the, the, the notion that somehow Trump and his base should be setting the terms of conversation and debate in the media has been so far, uh, taken so far, that it's almost as if we have nothing better to talk about than how awful Trump is and how stirred up his base is. And so the media, by contributing to that and participating in that, I think really plays a big role in keeping him uh, and his mystique alive well. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go, uh, not just because you're uh, attacking the media, but also because I think you keep touching the button on your phone. Um, but let me just say this, though. I mean, this is sort of what it's like to be in the media these days. Obviously, huge, huge swaths of the conservative American public regard the media as, to quote the president, the enemy of the people. Um, we are the people who are responsible for the misfortunes in which Donald Trump finds himself now, etc. And then there are people like the previous caller who think that the media are responsible for our being stuck with uh, um, in, per- in perpetuity, it would seem, President Trump. So, I mean, you know, it's it's hard for me to to process that. I mean, it, it, it's probably one or the other, right? I, I don't think those two things are, are easily resolvable. All right, here's Jennifer in Middletown. Hi, you're on the air, Jennifer. Um, hi. Um, I had a couple things. Um, say... Uh, what's likely to happen is that Trump does not get um, um, he gets impeached, but he doesn't. He's not removed from office. Yep. So um, can he be impeached again? If I mean, so the idea is probably if he gets away with this, then he'll then he'll start continue doing like worse things. That's my prediction. So <laughs> um, 
can he be can he be impeached again, um, and will they be likely to do it again if he can? All right. So first of all, thank you for that question because um, we have this other show we do now called Pardon Me, another damn impeachment show, which runs on Saturdays at noon and also is available as a podcast, usually starting on Friday nights. And one of the features of that show is a question from the public uh, that we try to get answered by an expert. So there's a good chance we're, we're going to use you, <laughs> use, you uh, use this call and this question. I will t- attempt in my own, you know, exiguous way to uh, to answer it. I, I, having at least read the relevant portion of the Constitution, I would say that there would there's no. First of all, it's not a criminal procedure. It's not analogous to a criminal procedure. We talk about lots of ways in which it isn't. Um, there's ways in which it is too. I mean, impeachment exists partly because of our. The reading of the Constitution, which, although, once again, there isn't a definitive answer there, most legal scholars lean toward the idea that a president can't be arrested or indicted for a crime while in office. So, yes, impeachment exists partly as a remedy, partly as a criminal procedure. But it doesn't follow the rules of criminal procedure. For example, you could be indi- and you could be indicted for something that wasn't a crime. So this is my long-winded way of saying there shouldn't be any do- double jeopardy provision. It should be possible to indict, to impeach a, a president more than once. It also is probably um, possible for the House Judiciary. I, I, I probably shouldn't open up this basket, but uh, to add articles of impeachment to the ones they raised today, if for some reason they wanted to. I believe that may have happened in the Clinton impeachment that the House Judiciary at least tried to add some new charges, new articles. So, I mean, as a political reality, would he be impeached more than once? You know, there's that old saying, as Omar says in The Wire, if you come at the king, you best not miss. So my guess is you got one shot. I mean, as a political reality uh, in the the world. But on Pardon Me this week, I'm I'm, I'm betting that we are going to try to answer that question (laughs) with somebody who knows a lot more about these things than I do. All right. Time for a break. Bill and Morgan are waiting on the lines. Our our number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. That's where you call to talk about today's news about impeachment. All right. We're back. Uh, and uh, we are doing a very special uh, live broadcast, which is not our plan today, but because the impeachment articles are so important. Uh, I'm Colin McEnroe. This is the Colin McEnroe Show. I just made uh, Gina Matruda even happy. I'm very happy. I'll make him even happier. I'm saying this is Connecticut Public Radio that you're listening to right now. Uh, and I should say, we have like an all-star team <laughs> doing the show. So, I mean, Kion Wolf is one of the great board ops of all time. I've worked in radio for a long time, but we don't have her right now. She's in Cleveland. So we just walked down the hall and asked Gina Matruda, which is like going to Yo-Yo Ma and saying, our cellist is sick. Could you sit in? All right. And meanwhile, um, Jonathan McNichol is producing this episode. But Katie Tularski, who is it's a similar kind of situation. It's like saying I have to come up with a better thing. Our 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 midfielder is feeling sick. Uh, could um Oh, no, I give up. I give up. Anyway, you get the idea. You get one. I was trying to make a rapino kind of analogy, but I just, I, I just fell apart. All right. So the number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And let's go to Morgan in Guilford. Hi. Hey, guys. Um, my comment was just for people who are talking about the precedent and how important this precedent is. 
Um, I wish more people would look at the precedent in terms of short-term, not long-term. It's not a 50-year problem or a 100-year problem. If you're a Trump supporter right now, would you be comfortable with Elizabeth Warren being president and having complete control over the government because there's no checks and balances on whatever progressive measure she wants to do? Would you be okay with uh, Sanders having the same level of power where even if there's a Republican Congress, there's nothing that they can do to stop some of the measures that he wants to put in place? And so I just wish that when people are talking about the, the precedent, of losing checks and balances, it wasn't looking at a 200-year problem, but people looked at it as this is something you could see in your lifetime really coming around, and would you face the music if you're on the other side of things? It's a really interesting point, Morgan, and I haven't heard anybody make that point. So uh, so good for you. You get a, a star, a gold star or something. Uh, it's hard to say anything original about this topic at this point, but I think at least I haven't heard anybody say that one. So that's a good one. Uh, all right. So where should we go? I, you know, I should answer Brad's question. I think that's a fair question. All right. Brad from Vernon, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Just fine. Great. So my question is very simple, and I hope there's a simple answer. Uh, Colin, I would like to know if you personally uh, want to see Donald Trump removed from office. Um, okay. Uh, I, there is a simple and a complicated answer. I'll give you both. So, I mean, the simple answer is yes, I think what he has done rises to the level of impeachable and removable offenses. I, I, I think ultimately uh, by removing him, we would be asserting something very important about our system. But but yeah, I mean, to me, okay, here's that was the simple answer. The complicated answer is, to me, it's more about the system than it is about Trump. I mean, I don't think he's a good president, but I also don't think I'm allowed to get rid of presidents that I don't think are any good. Uh, but what we have here is a system which, if we don't do this, if we don't act on this, it kind of gets back to Morgan's previous call. We've got a system that doesn't work anymore. We've got a system where lawful subpoenas can be ignored or just scoffed at. Um, we've got a checks and balances provision that doesn't work anymore. There's, we don't do it anymore. We've stopped doing checks and balances. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if for no other reason than that, and, and I think, by the way, that goes back not just to the most recent set of hearings, but, and this is a point Susan Hennessy made recently in Lawfare, but it goes back really to the Mueller report. One of the things that's in the Mueller report, which I don't think anybody has attempted to refute at this point, was that at one point Trump ordered Donald McGahn to fire, uh, to fire Mueller. And McGahn wouldn't do it. Uh, Trump, I think, took a couple of bites at that apple, couldn't get McGahn to do it, and then asked McGahn and I think Rob Porter to alter the written record to obscure the fact that he had ever asked McGahn to do that. In other words, he he essentially asked McGahn or ordered Porter to falsify existing records so that so as to erase the fact that he ever asked McGahn to fire Mueller. See, that kind of thing, <laughs> that kind of thing, if we're going to tolerate it, if, if we're not going to do something about it, we've got a system that doesn't work anymore. Is that, I don't know, is that an okay answer? Hey, you hung up. Uh, is it a, no, okay. no, no, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. I'm here. Um, is that a good answer? As long as it's an honest answer, I think it's a fine answer. Yeah. No, that's my that's my honest answer. Look, I don't like Donald Trump. I, I didn't vote for him. Um I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton with any great enthusiasm either, but um, but that's you know I don't think I get to remove people who I don't like as president. But I think we have a problem here 
to call it a constitutional crisis is, I think, to understate it at this point. <laughs> it was a constitutional crisis when Nixon refused to release the tapes, but ultimately that could be taken to the Supreme Court, get an 8-0 verdict, and, and just keep moving. I, I, like, we're stuck here right now in, in a way that, you know, that I, I find personally kind of alarming. Anyway, thanks for your call. It was a good question. I think it's a fair question, too. Our number, 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. And I think we are going to go to Taid. Taid next. Yes. Hi, you're on the air from New Haven. Hi, yes. How are you, sir? Okay. Um, yeah, my, my question is... Um, so after this impeachment uh, goes through all the necessary steps, does the president, like would or anyone else, would face any charges after the impeachment, or as once the impeachment is done, it's okay, it's finished, it's over, and then the president goes on his way and just finds someone else? Like, does it do like? any proceedings or charges come after the impeachment? Okay, I think I can answer that. Although, once again, it's a good question. And yeah. uh, make sure you listen to Pardon Me on Saturday or on, on its, in its podcasting forum. We will try to have a constitutional scholar specifically answer it. But let me just make sure I understand what you're asking. What you're asking yeah. is, I mean, there's sort of a decision tree that goes two ways. One of them is he gets impeached, which is very probable. Then he survives the, the Senate trial and is not removed. Then the other branch is he gets impeached which is probable, and then doesn't survive the Senate trial. He winds up out of office. At that point, yes, he is a sitting duck. Uh, he is a, a civilian. <laughs> he enjoys yeah. no he enjoys no protection against criminal prosecution. He get enjoys no protection against criminal prosecution for crimes he may have committed while in office. I think his immunity at that point expires. So if that's what you're asking, uh, yes. uh, yeah, I would say yes. Woe betide. Uh, Donald Trump if he is cast out of office. I don't think that's particularly likely, uh, yeah. but woe betide him anyway. Also, I like saying woe betide. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thanks All for your right. call. Uh, but we'll, you know, we'll try to get it answered by somebody who has a little bit more credibility than I do, which is quite a few people. Uh, all right. What should we do? I think we should take our other break. Can we take our other break right now? Because we also, we need some time to, we get some phone calls here, but we got to cook them up here. Um, all right. So the number... Although we have a lot of phone calls, 888-720-WNPR. What we'll do, we'll take this breaky thing, and then we'll come back from the breaky thing, and we'll do other things. We're back. So let me just do the official thank yous. And I know that I've sort of thanked people already, but it just I can't tell you how important it is to have people who are just willing to, to, to jump into roles that they don't ordinarily fill uh, on a day like this. So, yeah, Gina Amatruda is running the board today. Katie Talarski is handling call screening. Although, Robin Doyon Aiken, who is uh, a food producer who's working on a brand new food show for this station, is also in there learning how to handle calls. So if you have any impeachment-related recipes, it might be nice to just like give them like impeachment cobbler or something like that or Nadler cookies. What would Nadler cookies be anyway? But anyway, you can give those uh, give the recipes to Robin also because they're you know anyway. Uh, and Jonathan McPants is producing this episode, and we've got just a, a great newsroom full of people. Let me just quickly say this is the kind of day that this is. All right, so the minute I <laughs> the minute I get done with this show, I am re- going to record a one on one one hour show that will probably be on the air Friday. 
uh, about um, the the year in movies. So David Edelstein, America's greatest living film critic, and I are going to have a conversation about 2019 at the movies. Uh, on Wednesday, tomorrow, the George Takei, uh, this is a show that we recorded a long time ago, but because I have to go to the wheelhouse in New Haven at 9 a.m. tomorrow, we're going to run George Takei's uh, interview about being in uh, a, a prison camp. Uh, his family, uh, he and his parents and his siblings were in a, uh, a prison camp during the Japanese internment um, in World War II. So uh, it's a pretty riveting uh, conversation. Uh, and then Thursday, we're probably going to be preempted but we're going to be re- recording a really interesting show for future use. So it's a crazy day is what I'm saying. But we like crazy days. And then on Saturday, we'll be on the air at noon with Pardon Me, our brand new impeachment-focused podcast, Emily Bazelon, uh, one of the really great legal journalists. kind of She's a lawyer and a journalist, uh, is going to uh, talk a little bit about some of the latest legal issues arising. Adam Gopnik, one of the smartest journalists uh, anywhere, is going to talk a little bit about history, particularly British history and impeachment. So, And we'll have some other fun things as well, including possibly a couple of the people who called up today and getting their questions answered. All right. Uh, so that's enough about that. Uh, our number the rest of the way, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-WNPR. I'm Colin McEnroe. This is The Colin McEnroe Show. This is Connecticut Public Radio. All right. Here's Vic from Blue. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Uh, So uh, I'm no fan of Donald Trump, but uh, I'm wondering if we take the long view here, whether Professor Turley's comments about uh, the Democrats, uh, recommending the Democrats go through the court, let the process go through court in terms of the obstruction of justice issue and and getting... um, some of Trump's cabinet to testify uh, might be a better approach as we think about um, divisiveness in our in our uh, public, uh, and um, ultimately have a, a, the effect that maybe I and many others want of uh, of uh, the electorate making the decision about Trump. So I wonder about your thoughts about that. What, what's the rush? Uh, why why not let that process go through the courts? And in a way, making the analogy to what happened with Nixon and the courts and the tapes. Right. I, um, first of all, let me just say, I, I think it's a great question. And I think unlike a lot of questions, it's like a 52-48 kind of question or you know, a 46-54 kind of question. It's not a question that thunderously lands in one camp or another. And I bet you if you could you know, put sodium pentothal into Adam Schiff or a whole bunch of other people, they'd probably admit that too, that we're not 100% confident they would probably say that we're doing the right thing, but this is the thing we're doing. Now, what Schiff said today when the articles were rolled out was they just can't go through the process, that it took them eight months to get where they finally get, got with Don McGahn, and that eight months is too long, that what they're, the way that they're framing this right now is that the danger is to our electoral process. We have an election rushing towards us in fewer than 12 months at this point. So, you know, with with so little time, with such a, a jeopardy 
jeopardy to the process, to the integrity uh, of the election, they can't take that chance that they'll be tied up in court for months and months and months. But, you know, so that's one argument. But your argument's a good one, too. I just, I, I, you know, I mean, there may be things about this that we don't know because they don't tell us everything. Maybe they know from signals that they've gotten uh, quietly that it would take a long time, that the courts aren't prepared to fast track this stuff, that you know, maybe they even feel like they've got a nose count there and, you know, they don't have Roberts for this and that they would lose five. Four. I don't know. I don't know what they know and what they don't know. But I think you're asking a really good question. Yeah, and, and I just, I don't know the this, this system well enough. Obviously, with Nixon, the courts weighed in, the Supreme Court weighed in very, pretty quickly, yeah. recollection. And uh, uh, if that is not the case uh, here, then I, I could understand the, the decision to, to go the other way. But uh, uh, I, I just worry that uh, the end result here is going to be... Um, Remaining that, that, that the, our public is incredibly divided about this, and I don't know how that's going to play out in 2020. But. All, right. All right. Well, listen, thanks for your call, Vic. Thank you. And for those of you calling up with the recipes uh, for Robin, we already know how to make Watergate salad, uh, according to Gene, <laughs> according to Gene Amatruda. That's, like, there, that's a thing, and we know how to make it. Um, I don't know what's in it. Uh, maybe I don't even want to know what's in it. Uh, maybe I would need a court order to find out what's in it. But yes. Um, all right. So I am being told to go over to this thing, this place next. This is Kevin in Prospect. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Colin. How are you today? Just fine. Hey, uh, so my my question uh, for you is, in the beginning of the whole process, uh, it seemed like uh, the Republicans were complaining a lot about how Adam Schiff was running the whole uh, the whole deal, and they, they really sounded like they were just, uh, just crying about it. And the more I listened, it seemed like he really was actually, uh, uh, you know, leaving them out of a couple of key things like uh, a minority day and, uh, you know, they had this guy in the, the last time I was watching who was uh, a witness uh, uh, or a, uh, a counsel, and then he changed uh, spots. And it did seem like the Democrats were, were sort of playing chess, uh, you know, during the whole uh, trial. And, uh, you know, I think they've got Trump dead to rights, honestly, on both counts. Um, but it didn't make the Democrats look so great that they were not really following the process and, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing the best they could to make it look like they were giving it a fair uh, a fair trial. Right. And so I, I first of all, I can't I can't uh, purport to be a, a perfect expert on this. I would agree that in terms of optics, there are ways in which uh, I think the Democrats may have caused more trouble for themselves than they needed to. For example, that guy Burke yesterday, you know, I, I think he was a poor choice. He yeah. seemed argumentative. He seemed very distinct from Goldman, the Intelligence Committee guy who seemed scholarly. And uh, Burke, I, I think, among other things, was speaking without a prepared statement at the beginning beginning, just kind of doing it from the heart, because that's very much the personality of the Judiciary Committee. It runs on viscera you know, rather than on brains. So the idea in the Intelligence Committee process, we should say the Intelligence Committee, I mean, uh, Morrison and Volcker, I believe, were both Republican called witnesses. Volcker was a disaster for the Republicans, but they wanted him. They thought he was going to be able to help them. Uh, I, I think, you know, ultimately they've made a tactical decision to limit I, what the Republicans really want to do is put Joe Biden on trial and put Hunter Biden on trial. That's what they wanted to do in, in both committees. Uh, and I, the whistleblower. 
whistleblower. Yeah, and the whistleblower, and yeah, to strip the whistleblower of anonymity. I think ultimately the Democrats decided that the harm from this would exceed whatever harm they did to themselves in the way that you've just described. Um, that you know that there are, there are ways in which this thing could go into areas that it doesn't really belong in, but it's going to go into those areas in the Senate anyway. The Senate will control the Republicans in the Senate will control what's germane, what's you know what's discussable. So it may not ultimately matter, but but good point, good call, good question, all of those things. And oh, where am I going to go next? I'm just going to take a wild guess. I'm going to go to. Um, Robbie in Ansonia. Hi, Robbie. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, I just want to say one thing. I'm a Trump supporter, so you guys, I disagree with everybody. I hope you put me on the air. Trump, I love him. Okay. Is that like? Oh, oh that was just the whole thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> the beef at the end was kind of perfect. I thought. Um, I think. Did he like say he was going to say something else in order to get? Because look, if you're a Trump supporter, I'm going to put you on the air anyway. I, I want to hear from Trump supporters. Uh, I, I think this is, you know, that's part of the fun of something like this. And I really am interested in people in the middle, people who have n- not 100% made up their minds. All right. We've got uh, about six, seven minutes left. It's uh, 888-720-WNPR, 888 888- Seven two zero nine six seven seven. Let's go to Ernie, uh, Ernie in Durham. Hi, Dur- hi, Ernie. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. I'd like to make a comment that speaks to Megan's comment earlier about uh, um, about executive action uh, to get things done, and also speaks to your comment earlier about how important it is that Congress reasserts a little bit of its power. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the opinion for quite some time that, um, you know, the quickest way for a politician to not get elected is to make hard decisions. And, and so the tendency is for, frankly, the members of Congress uh, to make as little decisions as possible, to, to flit around the edges on things, to try to divide us and say things that are popular. And frankly, the Connecticut congressional delegation is a is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, not four days go by without Mr. Blumenthal finding uh, some rock that he doesn't like and getting on the news about it. Okay, so my issue is is that we've been ruled by executive action for multiple presidents' terms. Um, I'm not a Trump supporter, but if you want to go back and remember um, a lot of the environmental things. Ex- et cetera, that Obama pushed through, which I support, by the way, um, we're by executive action, okay? And, and, and if you keep going back, um, you know, it seems to me Congress is supposed to declare war. Mm-hmm. And since, since the 1950s, we've been in an awful lot of wars. Yep. And I can't remember too many declarations of war. Absolutely. Okay? So, Absolutely right about so, that. Although I will say, I just I don't mean to cut you short, but we're running out of time here and I want to get a few other people on the air. You know, this is a, about a different set of things. You're absolutely right that executive action, you know, Obama famously said, I got a pen and a phone, right? Executive action is something that the, that the president's, that has grown 
in power in the presidency. The presidency is more imperial today than it was 50 years ago. I don't think anybody would question that. But that's, this is not what that's about. This is not what the impeachment's about. The impeachment's about, A, the president abusing his power in order to get another country to help him out with a political campaign, and B, the president refusing to cooperate with lawful subpoenas, which is just not an option. You know, I mean, you don't get to look at a lawsuit and go, I think this is a frivolous lawsuit. I don't think I'm going to respond to it. <laughs> no, you, that's just not an option to have a system that works. A lawfully raised subpoena has to be responded to, has to, you know, you, and this blanket non-juridical statement that well, we're just not going to do it, that, you know, to me, that's kind of where this whole thing begins and ends. All right. So uh, we're probably going to get to do one last call. And okay, I think it's going to be Eliza. Um, Eliza, you're on the air. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to correct something that a recent caller said when they referred to a trial having happened and the process not being fair. There has been no trial. The impeachment trial happens in the Senate. There's nothing about a trial in the House. It's all show cause. Is there cause to bring impeachment charges against the president? This is a Republican talking point that it's been a trial. It has not been a trial. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for that call. I didn't hear the guy say trial, so um, you're absolutely right about that. Um, the other thing that I would quickly say, and, and as I, I said, I think you're bringing up uh, Kevin's call. I had meant to say this to Kevin, and as I say, this is not one of my areas of great expertise. But I believe that the rules that House Intelligence followed were uh, rules that were created by the previous House majority, by the Republican majority. I think they are also the rules that were followed in the Benghazi hearings. Um, so that, you know, obviously we always complain about the thing that the other people are doing, but I think for the most part, they tracked pretty carefully against you know, these, these rules that were established specifically for these kinds of hearings by the previous majority in the House, which would be the Republicans. All right. So I, I don't think I dare take another call. Instead, I just want to um, end with a couple of quick thoughts, but mostly, as you could probably tell... <laughs> I like stuff like this. I mean, I don't like that we're in the middle of a national crisis. And I thought that the mood of Nancy Pelosi and the other members of the House leadership today was appropriately somber. Um, but, you know, when you're a journalist, you like doing stuff like this. You, you like being able to respond and use whatever training you've acquired over the decades to do something like this. I think it's exciting. And I think one of the things that's exciting about radio is that we can do a show like this. Apologies to Bill and Edmund and Norman that we didn't get you on the air. We'll do this again in the future. Uh, but, yeah, I think one of the things that makes radio exciting, it made me, I was excited by it when I worked in commercial radio for 16 years. I love doing it on public radio, too. The public radio callers are somewhat more sane than the ones in commercial radio. Is that idea that, you know, this is a great expression of democracy um, that you can call up. You can make a point. You can ask a question. You can argue a point. You can say something that you don't think is being said. You can say you love Trump and hang up the phone. You can do all those kinds of things. Uh, and so anyway, I hope you had fun today. We had uh, fun, or at least we found it very exciting to do this news I love news, you know. I, I would probably be a very esteemed poet right now if I didn't love news. But that's just not the way things worked out. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to everybody who helped out. I've already mentioned them all. Thanks for all the recipes you gave Robin. We'll definitely be making the Nadler cookies. They just look delicious. 